Thank you for tuning in to the True Grit and Grace podcast. I'm Amberly Lago, and I'll be sharing inspirational stories of resilience and empowering ideas to elevate your business and your life, ignite your passion, and fuel your purpose. Hey, y'all, it's Amberly Lago, and I just thank you for tuning in to True Grit and Grace. I have one of my really good friends on the show today, and we're now kind of neighbors here in Dallas. Y'all, I have Trevor Houston with us in the house. You may already know him because he's got an incredible show called Who You Know. It's the job networking show. I had the honor of being on a show, and it's in a beautiful studio right here in Dallas. And right after I moved to Dallas, I got to meet Trevor in person and be on his show. He's the CEO of Clear Path Wealth Strategies and who specializes in handling 401k rollovers, as well as helping job seekers get noticed to create opportunities and regain their cash flow. And I say that, but I have seen him in action and I've seen the community that he has built and just how he helps people with his huge heart. And so there's so much, and he's featured in Forbes, and I want to talk all about that too. So Trevor, man, I just, I really love you. You are amazing. And I just appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. So thank you for being here. Wow. Well, what an honor. Seriously, I'm super grateful to be here. And I just, uh, I feel like we're already BFFs. This is, this is amazing. Well, I know because I say that because when we first met, it was instant like connection yep. because we have the motorcycle thing in, mm-hmm. in common. And when you you're a motorcyclist, you meet another person, especially who rides a Harley or something. You're like, ah, yeah, yep. we're the same people. And we met when we were speaking at an event for um, with Heather, Mon- our friend Heather Monahan. That's right. And it was that connection. But the more that I've gotten to know you and you're one of these friends that we can just like call each other. And just before we even hit record, we started talking and I'm like, okay, wait, we got to We got to do show to do. We got a show to do because yeah. I want to share your wisdom with everyone. But I just getting to know you more. I was like, oh, no wonder like there was an instant connection because I mean, to look at you, especially on LinkedIn, and if y'all don't see his work on LinkedIn, he's a freaking legend on LinkedIn. He does a live stream. He is, I'm learning so much and just how you promote your business and everything and the community that you have on LinkedIn. But there's so much more that like a lot of people don't know. And I like to share the struggle to the success, because if you sometimes you hear the bio and you're like, oh, he's featured in Forbes. Oh, he's got it all figured out. But you had some really tough circumstances that you have overcome to get to where you are. And so I'd like to just talk a little bit about you and what inspired you to help others and get to where you are today. What is that passion? What is that purpose that is just fueling you to keep moving forward, especially through tough times? Can we go back to a little bit of your childhood? Because to me, I think that's where we learn a lot of grit and grace and and you had a great mentor. So can we go back to that and just share a little bit? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. We, we talked about that. Um, 
that I would go deep on this on this interview because I don't I don't share a lot of my childhood that often. And I think it's something that I am going to start uh, sharing more openly because I know it can it can help people. So and when you shared that with me, I mean, I felt honored as a friend and I said, would you be open to sharing that with my community? And you're like, yeah, I don't share it much. And I'm like, so many people struggle and so many people have excuses that they can't do something or they won't be able to overcome it because of their circumstances. Right. But you have proven the opposite. Well, I appreciate that. And, and some of my worry is, as I shared with you, uh, my, some of my concern was like, in the business realm, you know, how is that going to be perceived? And, you know, it's, it's that own negative self-talk that gets in there that mm-hmm. prevents you from speaking up and speaking out and sharing, sharing that story. But um, I, I've just determined that now's the time. I think it's all about timing, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that now's the time for me to start being more open about it. And um, so, yeah, growing up, things were pretty good and, until, you know, my parents split up. I was about um, probably, I think it was around eight years old when they split up. My mom was kind of like heavy into alcohol and there was a lot of arguing and drama around the house. And so anyways, my parents split up and I ended up staying with my mom and I didn't go with my dad. My mom ended up getting the house in the divorce. And my oldest brother went with my father and me and my middle brother, we stayed with my mom. And what was the age difference and how old were you when they split up? My middle brother, Sean, he was, let's see, about 11. I was eight. And my oldest brother would have been 14. So I was the same age as me when my parents split. I was eight. Yep. And so my oldest brother goes with my father. Me and my middle brother stay with my mom. And my mom had gotten into an auto accident and messed up her back pretty, pretty bad. And so she was disabled and and she couldn't work. And so still had a mortgage to pay, right? Still had bills to pay and, and two boys to raise. So she ended up getting roommates. And when I say roommates, I, I grew up with every kind of walk of life. Um, every background, every ethnicity, most of them were criminals. We had all kinds of people living with us. Did you ever feel safe? Ah, I looked up to these people. (laughs) I I felt safe. Yeah. I didn't feel like in danger. Mm -hmm. But those kind of became your mentors were these criminals. These male role models. Yeah. That were in and out of the house. I mean, Mm -hmm. in I'll go deep. We had Flacco and we had Paco and we had, you know, Scarface. Literally, these are the guys names. Scarface. I lived with with a Scarface. Crips and pimps and in every walk of life. We had the ravers who were doing like ecstasy and had the glow sticks and the raving going on. And we had I lived with gay people and I mean, every so walk of life. it was entertaining. We had, we had gothic people with the fingernails painted black and trench coats all black. And I grew up with all kinds of background. And you know what? So what kind of things were they telling you were OK to do or what kind of what were some of the things that you started doing that may have been not so OK? I got into the thug life. The rap yeah. music, that was the genre. Like when I say every 
background and every kind of genre. I mean, I had the people that were the headbangers with the rock music and the, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know why, but I liked hip hop and rap, thug life. I like Tupac was my idol. <laughs> like yeah. that was my idol. And I became like Eminem. Like I, I was, ra I rapped. I did a lot of rap. But anyway, I started running the streets and doing a lot of criminal activity. I was breaking in and out of cars and I was violent. I was very angry. I got on drugs, was doing drugs with my mom. Mm -hmm. Me and my mom, we would smoke pot together. I mean, at, at, um, I was a felon by 13. Mm, um, by 13. Yeah, by 13, I was. I just felon. think, you know, my my youngest daughter just turned 14. And it's like to think you were already a felon by 13. Yeah. And now at this time, did you talk to your dad at all? So, yes, my dad was always there, but I didn't want him. I was angry. I was very bitter. And I resented my father for a lot of a lot of reasons even though it was your mom that had gotten into oh me and alcohol my mom like, and was disabled and because you have to think about it the mindset of a 13 year old like nobody wants discipline at 13 years old my dad was the discipline that's why i didn't want him around mm -hmm. he would he would tell me what to do all right my mom let me do whatever the heck i wanted to do mm -hmm. <laughs> so as a 13 year old like you want to do what you want to do. And mm -hmm. so that's why I stayed with my mom. I, I, me and my mom are like best friends. Now we don't have as close of a relationship now as we obviously did then. Like, it's kind of weird how the roles have flipped and mm -hmm. my dad is like, it's so, yeah. You know yeah. what? My parents were divorced and I was always felt like I was in the middle. I was the one who would communicate between. And I thought when I, got divorced. I thought I'm not going to talk bad about my ex-husband. I don't want, I'm just going to, and boy, it was not the other way around, but I was like, I'm just not going to talk bad about him. I'm going to do the best I can for my daughter. And it's interesting how things have kind of switched in mm -hmm. those teenage years. You do you're you're, you want to be independent. You want to do what you want to do. Um, so did drugs start to become like a, a problem? I mean, obviously you were making some bad choices, breaking into cars and stuff. Were you doing that to pay for the drugs or just to? No, I, I found some, I, you know, I had some buddies and, and, and it was just, we were, well, yeah, we weren't doing that to, to pay for drugs or anything like that. We just were doing it for kicks, stupid, dumb kids sneaking out of the house late at night. And, you know, back then it was like we were looking for the cars that were unlocked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were just like, oh, back the then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were just looking for cars that were unlocked. And um, we ended up breaking into a couple of them. But it, we were looking for like it was CD players and CD cases and and subwoofers. Like we were just stupid kids looking for a score, you know, and it was just dumb. But well, when did it start to get to be a problem? Like, okay, the doing drugs is not a good thing. I'm not going anywhere with that. What was the point, the turning point that made you start to make better choices? 
So the turning point was, again, I, I was um, a, a felon by 13 for a fight that I got into. Okay. So I, I got in this fight and it, and it was at someone else's house and uh, it was like a school fight. Okay. I, I got in a school fight, but it just so happened to be in the other person's house. And they said it was uh, burglary to a habitation. They said basically burglary to a habitation is breaking into the other person's home with the intention of stealing or hurting someone. Mm. Right. Now, was this so, in Texas? Uh-huh. Yeah. They don't mess around in Texas. Oh, no. They came and got me. They, oh, put, yeah. they put the handcuffs on me real quick. They got me at school. So I went to school the next day and here they come in, put me in handcuffs, took me off. Wow. But wait, so, they came to get you in handcuffs at school. Uh huh. Yep. So was, all your friends see you being handcuffed and taken out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What and, was going uh, through your mind at that moment? Oh, Where, was it deep shame or was it anger or sadness or fear? What was it? Oh, no, I think I was. <laughs> I think I was probably afraid, but I think if I had to remember, I was also like stupid so stupid now that i say that i was like i don't know pounding my chest like really proud yeah really yeah like i, I'm I was the tough i'm guy. telling you i was a different i was a different person back then but so i and and that's funny because going to jail humbled the heck out of me because i was like i was the person you couldn't talk to me any kind of way like I, I, I had no respect for authority. Like I would combat anyone, anytime you couldn't look at me wrong or I would, I would fight you. Like I was extremely violent. And then I go to jail and I'm put in there with a lot of other people like me, worse than me, bigger than me, scarier than me. Now, were you a big guy? I, oh, mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, at 13, I was already six foot tall. So I was, I was big and, and then all of a sudden now I'm being put in jail and like they wanted my lunch. Like I was, you know, this white boy in jail, like, oh, they were coming for me. Uh-huh. And it was scary. It was really scary. Like I remember juvenile detention hall was very, very scary. So I go to there and I didn't just get bailed out. Like my parents didn't just bail me out or anything like that. Like I had to stay in for a little while. I think I stayed in for a month. Wow. Which isn't that, which isn't that long. Well, right, you, you know what, it. though? Now, there are a lot of parents that do constantly bail their kids out of everything, constantly bail them out of any kind of problems they're having, any kind of trouble. And maybe that served you well, letting oh. you stay there and getting it, knocking some sense into you, humbling you down a little bit. Well, I mean, you would have thought, right? You would have thought it, it did. It <laughs> scared me. Thought. It did scare me. No. Uh, it still but, but didn't do the trick. My, I went back to my mom's and continued and I was put wow. in, I was put on probation. And I think about it, let's go back a little bit. So there were years when you commit the crime, then there's like two years in between of court before you actually get convicted of the crime. So you get arrested, then there's court, then you get convicted, right? So there was like two years in between where I kind of got like the going back and forth to, to court all the time. And, the, and then I don't know how this happened because I was, a, I was a teenager, but 
I, I pleaded guilty to it, right? I, I copped a plea for a lesser sentence. So that, that must've been my mom's decision somewhere along the line, because I mean, you I guess so I was young. scared. Some, somebody, I, I don't remember making that as a conscious decision to like plead yeah. guilty, but regardless. Uh, so I pleaded guilty. So I, I got a felony at, thir- at, at 13 and I had uh, been put on probation. And so I was put on probation. I was supposed to go uh, to see my probation officer like every month. And my mom didn't have a car. Right. So I, I, I didn't go see my probation officer. And that's what violated my probation was I just didn't wasn't going to see him. So I violated my probation and I, I was still doing drugs and stuff like that with my mom. So we were getting high together. Do you think if you weren't doing drugs and getting high and stuff, you could have figured out a way to make it to see your probation officer? I think that there's no reason why we shouldn't have found a way to get to my probation officer, um, regardless of what was going on. You know what I mean? But also, I kind of feel like everything serves its purpose and maybe you need That's true. That's true. No, you're absolutely right. Because what happens when you don't go to see your probation officer? So then what happens? Oh, you go back to jail. So it was two days before Christmas. You know, we were on uh, Christmas break. Okay. And, you know, everybody's getting high, getting messed up and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I wake up hungover, (laughs) like I'm talking hungover and boom, 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 boom at the front door. And sure enough, get picked up again because I violated my probation. That was mm. they came to pick me up, take me back. So they took me back to to juvie. And I'm, I'm in there and I'm getting told that I. That I'm about to face being in jail until I was 21. Mm. Because I violated my probation to this felony. And so they were going to they were going to lock me away and throw away the key until I was 21. And I was like 16 at the time. Right. Mm. So the alternative was I could not stay with my mother. They had already deemed that that was unfit uh, child protective services, the whole nine, that 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 was not going to happen and that I had to move with my father. So that was the choice that I was faced. Stay and stay until you're 21 or go move with your father. (laughs) Yeah. So I chose my father. I was like, okay, get me out of here. And that was the best thing. My dad is my savior. Like I, I just love him so much because he taught me how to work hard. He taught me how to save, how, how to be a man. Like it takes a man to, to teach a man how to be a man. And he, he did that for me. I needed him. I needed him. I needed discipline and structure. And so I just love my father so much. He's amazing. He, you do need that discipline and structure. And as much as kids can't stand it, especially teenagers, they need it. And mm. the reason I asked you, well, did you feel safe is because I think that part of safety is like to feel safe is very important to me. And I think that kids need that structure to feel that safety and to have those rules and to also respect authority. <laughs> Um, but you didn't have a lot of good role models. So your dad became your role model. And is he the one that taught you so much about business and 
Like yes. when I was a teenager, I didn't know what a 401k was. I mean, I don't, I don't think I even knew what that was until I was like in my late twenties because I was a professional dancer. All I cared about was dance. I didn't care about saving. I didn't care. I mean, I did save. I didn't, I never, you know, even had credit card debt or anything like that, but I didn't have anybody that taught me those things. So is he the one that taught you a lot about that? So some of it, uh, maybe not investments in 401ks and things like that, but, you know, coming from having nothing, I mean, it was extreme poverty. When I say extreme poverty, like we, there were times, uh, Amberly, I literally had to steal water from the neighbors just to flush the toilet. Okay. Cause we didn't have running water. Like we didn't have running water a lot of times or, or electricity. Um, we had a, uh, a situation where we had a flood in the house at my mom's house. We had this flood they created black mold and they, they had to strip the house and, and basically gut the house, all the walls and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know what my mom did with the insurance money. Okay. But it, that house never got put back together. Um, you I know can get she- really sick from that black mold. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not trying to sound harsh on your mom or anything, but uh, child services could have taken you a long time ago, just knowing, especially back then what was going on, what was going on with smoking pot and the black mold, which is just unsafe and unfit and all the different people coming in and out of the house. What do you think the biggest lesson that you learned from being in that environment? The, what, what is a blessing you can think of or a lesson? Oh, 100%. Love that question. Thank you for asking. So adaptability, right? Like I now can speak with anyone. Like I can talk to people and relate to people. Remember Mm -hmm. I said, I, I grew up around every background, ethnicity, like everything you can think of. Literally, I, I don't think of one demographic that I didn't have in my home. We had it all. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was a cycle. We'd have them in and out, in and out, in and out. And so I just learned how to talk to people, to relate to people. Mm-hmm. I learned how to I do. See I see that. I see that you've done that. Even when I see you, when we uh, spoke on your panel at your event that you had, we had all different kinds of people in that room yeah. and you can talk and relate and you have this way of making people feel good. But also, I think that you have the ability to, you're very empathetic. And I also think that you have the ability to gauge the energy in the room and the energy of people. Mm. I'm all about energy. I really do. I think that you pick up on people. That's a gift. Well, and two, you had to kind of gauge, okay, is this a... Is this okay? Is this person safe? Are they going to cut me up? Is Scarface going to like cut me up or are they good with me? Like, I think about it. It's so funny. I just think about that. Like I go back and I, and I literally go through some of those memories and I'm like, what was going on? Like, I still, sometimes I scratch my head. I'm like, what was really going on here? Oh, it was crazy. But, and, and some of the other lessons that I learned, Amberly was like, you were asking about my father. And if he taught me how to, you know, business and stuff like that. And he did, he was a, an entrepreneur. He had a painting business. He taught me, I worked with him. I would go with him and I would work with him and and work with my hands and and, and transform something with my hands, make something beautiful. And, you know, he gave me opportunity, right? Like 
I never had any opportunity where I was with my mom. Like I didn't have any opportunity, but all of a sudden now I'm able to work. I'm able to save. I'm able to provide, create all these things are now possible for me. Mm-hmm. And like, for me, when I see something, it's like, Ooh, it was like hope. I had hope. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm, I have to grab that and run with it because I just had no hope where I was. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that's why I was so angry and so bitter where I was and why I was getting in so much trouble is because I had that victim mentality that, that, that I was just, it was never my fault. I never took any accountability. It was everyone else's fault. And this is that. And everybody, no, you can't tell me anything. And I was angry and I just lived in victim mentality. And that switch to my father's house is like, gave me hope. And all of a sudden it's, I, I'm accountable for what I can create. Right. And I had to be more accountable for my actions in order to, to really seize that opportunity. It's so much about your mindset and switching it from victim mentality to victor mentality Mm -hmm. that you can do anything with your life. What do you think, or what would you tell someone who is in that victim mentality? They're like, well, but he doesn't know what I'm going through and my life sucks. And you know, I'm stuck here in this situation and there's nothing I can do. Those type of things run through your head when you have that victim mentality. I know because I have had that before and I had to switch it over. What would you say to somebody who is feeling like they're stuck and they're, they're the victim? Well, (laughs) here's something that's interesting is that no one cares. Like I, I, it's a harsh reality, but whenever you're pointing the finger and saying, Oh, this is why I'm here and everybody else. And it's not my fault. And this and that and the other, the world doesn't care. Right. You're it's right. Not gonna, no one's going to come and swoop in and go, Oh my gosh, you're right. You're, you're so right. The world has done you so wrong and I'm just going to save you and take you off and I'm going to solve all your problems. No one is coming in to save you. And I know that's harsh, but complaining does nothing. It does nothing. It's not going to help you. It's just going to hurt you. It's going to make things worse. And I mean, we've all had people in our life that are complaining and they wonder why nobody wants to be around them. I mean, that sounds harsh too, but you know, you've got people that they're, you know, when they call, they're just going to complain how bad the world is, how life sucks. and, And it's like, no, you said it, Trevor looking for the opportunity, like mm-hmm. what opportunity. And I think that's something that you can start to default or switch your mind to thinking is whenever there's any kind of roadblock or struggle, you can go, okay, where's the opportunity in this? What can I learn from this? How, you know, it's, I think it's a growth mindset. And I'm telling you, even when uh, last year, when Ruby and I got hit by a car, the first thing I thought was, okay, what did I not learn from the last time I got hit by a car that I need to know now? Like, what did I not get? Like, I still wasn't going, oh man, I can't believe it. But I was like, okay, what am I learning from this? And what Mm. can I do? I think that um, to switch your mindset and it's not easy, but just knowing like you got to get up and save yourself. Well, what you just said right there, you got to get up. So 
listen, bad things happen all the time to everyone, mm-hmm. right? Everyone's going through something. Everybody's going through something. I think that's probably why no one cares. <laughs> it's because everybody's got their own stuff going on. Everybody's going through something. And when you go through something, sometimes it can be extreme. Sometimes you're going through something that's really, really hard for you to handle. And it's okay to be broken. It's okay to, to cry. It's okay to, 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 to feel broken, to feel hopeless, to feel worthless, to, to maybe want to pound the, the, the ground around you. That's okay. Those feelings are normal. Those are human feelings. And I think it's even okay to do it short for a small amount of time. Like, like have your pity party, right? Get it out of your system. Get oh, those we've toxic, all had it. Yeah. Right? Have yeah, the pity party. Ha- have your pity party. Like get that toxic out. Cause that's what it is. It's, 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 it's toxic. Get all of that crying and screaming and yelling and, and freaking out, like freak out for a day, like a day, get it out and then get up, get up and move forward. And cause I mean, we've all had those days, those days where you're just broken and that's okay. That's normal. That's human. Well, what are some of the tools you use to keep moving forward Let's just say, for instance, in the entrepreneurial world mm. where it's it's got its own challenges, it's got its <laughs> long hours, it's got its it's a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. um, yep. how, what is something you could say to someone who maybe has not been abused or hit by a car, but it's just hard being an entrepreneur and yep. keeping going with it? What would you say for people to keep getting back up and keep going? Yeah. Um, I remember having a phone call with my father when I got in the financial services world. I remember my first year was really, really rough. And I remember having that phone call of doubt calling him and like thinking, what did I, what did I do? Like, I'm, and I remember he didn't really have all the answers for me, which that was scary. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, calling my dad hoping he had this just amazing wisdom and he didn't he didn't really have it but he he, told me you know what but he was there that's oh he oh he was there he was there a hundred percent he's always there he just had the belief in me you know that i would that i would make it work and but i remember having that that day where i was crying like just broken but i i think the important thing is is to get up like, I don't know how else to tell someone to get up. You just got to get up. And in the next day, it cannot be about complaining. Literally, it ha- you have to switch it to praising, right? Praising, gratitude, thankfulness. What do you have? What is in your hands? Mm-hmm. Bring me what you have. Like the Bible talks about that. Bring me what you have. What do you have in your hand? Right? And, and God will work with it. What do you have? And stop worrying about what you don't have and what's behind you. Worry about what you have in your hand and how you can use that to, to put it to work. Give it to God and he'll, he'll do the rest. Now, when did your relationship with God become so strong? Oh, you think your was, dad? Yeah, when I, when I was living that? with my dad, I would say probably in my, in my 20s. Because 
even though I, I, I moved to my dad's when I was like 16, my dad had to work, work on me to get some things, get some things straightened out. Cause I still didn't, I still wanted to be bad. Right. I still wanted to r- run my own life that I was running. And, you know, I still got in, in, in some trouble. And even when I was with my dad and, um, but I think I had another close call when I was, uh, when I was 20. So that's when I got on my motorcycle accident mm. and I haven't shared this publicly anywhere, but that was alcohol. Mm. You know, I was drinking all day long and I got on my motorcycle and that almost killed me when I was 20. Mm. And, uh, yeah. And, and so, but I remember being alive after that and the gratitude and the thankfulness that I'm still here, you know, and I remember the euphoria of gratitude. Gratitude is real. It is, it is so strong and just every day looked and felt differently, you know, coming off out of that hospital, being alive. And so, you know, that, that gratitude is the opposite of that victim mentality. That victim mentality is, is everything is against you. It's not for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and gratitude and thankfulness is faith. Mm-hmm. Everything, you know, is for you. It's not being done to you. It's being f- done for you. So and, looking um, back at that motorcycle accident, do you think that was the moment that truly shifted your perspective and got you closer to God and got you into a gratitude practice? And Oh yeah. How I long really were you did. in the hospital? Oh, I think I was in there for maybe four, four or five days, something like that. Not, not too long, but I remember, you know, the, the couple things I had internal bleeding in my head. And uh, that's why I can't smell anymore. I literally have no sense of smell. I wasn't wearing a helmet or anything like that. Literally t-shirt. You're lucky a, to be alive. I uh, totally, you know, I was wearing a, a hat, you know, t-shirt. I had all the, you know, all the um, road rash and they, they were having to scrape the pavement out of my skin. And I'm sure you know about that. <laughs> yeah, I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> and the neck brace and I'm claustrophobic. So they put that brace on and man, I freaked out. I freaked out and they kept having to put me under because every time I'd wake up, I'd get claustrophobic because of the neck brace and I'd freak mm-hmm. out. But um, I mean, I'm just, yeah, I'm lucky to be here. And I, I just, it, it did change my, my perspective of things. Mm. And I found, found God. And it just kind of changed things uh, from that moment. It was a big change in my life, I, I would say. You know, I love that you bring faith into the show that you have. And you can tell the people that uh, you surround yourself with have a lot of faith, too. Just good people that I notice on your team, everybody in your community and what you've created. But when did you start bringing people together to really help these job seekers get noticed and find mm-hmm. jobs? And because that 
seeing you help people and hearing people go, Oh, I got a job. Oh, because of (laughs) you and your connection. I just got a job offer. When did you start doing that? Yeah, that's a great question. So a few years ago, it's been about six years now, I was new into financial services and I walked into this group that was job seekers. And I was there because someone told me to go visit that group because they said, hey, these job seekers could need your your services for the 401k rollover stuff, right? And so I go there initially with a, to do business. And I walk in and I just saw like hopelessness. I saw people were really hurting. People were dealing with ageism. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't my uh, generation was not in there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the baby boomer generation was there and everybody was dealing with ageism and struggling to get it back to work. And they were burning through their savings and um, corporate America wasn't hiring these folks. And they, some of them had been in the search for a year, two years. One guy was like 28 months, something like that. And the rejection that they get, constant rejection. That's hard. When you get constant rejection, mm-hmm. it can it can be hard if you let it get to you. I mean, it can it can like reinforce uh I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Or yep. you can let it go. Okay, I'm one step closer to the next job that I'm meant for. Right. But it's hard. It's a mentally tough game for oh sure. Gosh, yeah, they 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 go through it. They go through this and they you know, and so I just walked in and literally you said something about energy earlier. You said, I'm, I'm really good at like sensing energy. And I did, I felt that energy in the room and there was a lack of it. Okay. It was a negative energy. It was very, very just kind of depressing. Hopelessness is uh-huh. what I felt in the room. I felt hopelessness. And so I walked in there and I'm like, okay, well, I got to really think about what I'm doing here. Cause I can't go in here. Hey, you want to do a 401k rollover? Like, Hey, you know, like I don't, I was like, I'm scratching my head. Like, how do I even approach this? It was just a very, very strange situation to be in. And so I was like, well, let me just be a fly on the wall. Let me see what's going on here. What is actually happening here? And so I would, I attended these meetings and would, would go to them. And every time someone would tell their success story when they landed a job, they would tell their story and it was always connections. It was always networking is how they got it. They, and, and so I was like, okay. And I also noticed some other similarities that I was just got into business myself. I was learning how to network, how to connect, how to build relationships, how to do all these things. And that's what they were having to learn how to do. So I was like, okay, wait a minute. There's something here. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're learning the same things I'm learning right now in the moment. And so I was like, well, why don't I teach them? Right. Why don't I teach them? And so I started to sit down with job seekers on a one-on-one basis. We would just sit or sit down, have coffee, get to know each other. And I would ask them what their challenges were, what they were going through. And I would just figure out how to actually solve the root problem that they were going through because, you know, people don't care about how much, you know, until they know about how much you care. Right. Mm -hmm. They, 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 you know, so I would solve their problems, the, the, the root problem. 
And some of them would uh, come work with me on the other end, on the financial side. We, we, we help them holistically with, with their money, right? It's about helping them get back to their cash flow, but not neglecting what they've already done. Right. So it's, it's been an amazing journey and it's still, it's changing every day. Like it changes right now with, with what's going on since the pandemic and the great resignation. And it's, uh, it's just been an amazing journey uh, helping the job seeker community. And I love them. Like I literally love them. I know I can't, I mean, I say, I know I, because I've seen you in action and you can see the love you go over the top with everything you do with these people that you've brought into the community, you know, everybody's name. You've even reached out to me and said, Amberly, what can you do for our friend over here? We need to get that. Like you are truly an incredible connector, but it is true. It's because people want to work with you because they, they do know how much you care. And it really shines through. And I love all that you're doing, even on your show. I mean, y'all go check out his show, the Who You Know show. And I mean, you can see it live. You can see the replays. You can catch it on Spotify, Apple. But you have interviewed some of the world's top leaders, authors, motivational speakers, business leaders, CEOs. I mean, you name it, you have interviewed them and your job. I mean, your um, show just keeps climbing and climbing and climbing where more and more people have heard about it, but you're huge on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Is that your main platform where you find most of your work? It is right now. And I think that that's, that'll, that'll start to shift um, as well, but yeah, it is because you think about the job seeker, right? Like that's where they're at. They're on LinkedIn trying to find a job. And I remember one of the initial things that I did when I got into this market, like right fresh into it, I was like, well, I'm just going to go connect with a bunch of recruiters. Like, I, I don't know how to help, but if I, if I build a network that, can help, then I can just connect the two. I can be the person in the middle that makes that connection. And that's what I did. And so I went on LinkedIn and I connected with a bunch of recruiters and started building relationships with them so that I could bring them to that group and and facilitate that introduction. It's been amazing. Yeah. You are a great networker, great connector. I mean, even when we start, you're all, we get to talk and we're like, okay, who can I connect you with? Okay. Do you know this person? Do you know this person? You know, and it's, it's amazing, but you know, uh, there's a lot of people that don't have that gift of connecting and you do because you're a giver. Mm. I mean, you're always giving and so kind and generous. I mean, Y'all, I was a guest on his show and here he's like, I created this video for you and sent me all this stuff over. So I'm like, well, here, we're going to Tony Robbins together. Let's go. Let's go. Tony Robbins, he's probably listening to this episode right now. So if you're Um, listening, Tony Robbins, we'll be there at your show if you want to pull us up on stage or anything like that. I mean, I mean, we'll probably make the event better. I'm just saying. 
Yeah. I'm just well, saying. You know, just saying. That's right. <laughs> we could hey, totally listen, do I've that. I've got right here, and I, I'll just kind of cover it, but I've got uh, a few email addresses right here, and they all end with uh, TonyRobbins.com. <laughs> so I've got just a few. Um, uh, I'm going to be reaching out. And um, that is incredible. That is incredible. That that is how it's done, my friends. You it's all through relationships, don't you think? Relationships there. That's how you build any success is with relationships, hard work and relationships away from everything that you want. Like, I don't think people really understand the power of that. Like anything you want in life, someone's already been there, done that. They've, they've paved the way. Okay. And if you can go build a relationship with that person, they can show you the way they can guide you. They can help you get there much faster than it took them. Okay. You get, I am a firm believer in that. That's why even though I'm a coach, I have a coach, even though I'm a mentor, I have a mentor I have a mastermind and I am involved in a mastermind and I am about to invest with someone that I've always dreamed of working with. I haven't even told my husband about it yet, but I'm going to do this because I want to take my business to the next level. And so you're exactly right. You're one relationship away. So the important thing is picking someone who has paved the way. Correct. Because there's a lot of people who've said they've done it or how they can, you can get there, but you have got to pick someone who, you know, has already done that thing that you want to do. The proof is in the pudding. I tell you. Well, that's so true. And, And the other thing to realize is that whatever you want, make sure you get the expert in that field, because just because they're an expert, let's say, I'll just use an example, social media marketing. Okay. So let's say they're a social media guru that doesn't mean they're the relationship guru or the the finance guru or the right so make sure you're getting your information from someone who's been there done that right and can give you good advice in that area mm-hmm. some people they go to one person for all their source of information they go to that one person and they're asking the person that's been you know divorced 12 times <laughs> For relationship advice, doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Go to the person who's been there, done that, got the track record in that area for the advice. Um, I think that's important too, because I see it a lot. People will get advice and recommendations from the wrong people. Yeah. And nowadays there is so many people, and I think this happened. This is what I heard a lot in Clubhouse too. People that mm. say that they're the expert and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, I want to really see, like, I, I do my research and I really like research and go, wait, who's this, who's this person? Let me, let me learn from them and see what's going up. And so that's why or going on. That's why I think it is really important, whether it's a mastermind, because even masterminds, you can pay anywhere from five to a hundred thousand dollars to be in a mastermind. And I myself has have made the mistake of investing in a mastermind that I thought was going to be a mastermind. So a smaller group of people brainstorming. And then I get on the Zoom and there were, and I invest a lot of money in it too. And I was like, I got on the Zoom and there were like 150 people. And I'm like, 
this ain't no mastermind. This is like a bunch of people. This is group. (laughs) This is called group coaching. This is not what I signed up for. Yes. So you got to really do your research. Yeah. Cause you're not going to get the same value right out of 150 people. You're not going to get your questions answered. You're not going to be like, like what you were saying about mastermind. It's a small, intimate, Exactly. Right. Where people can really pour into each other and really help each other grow. And that's the goal is everyone's there to help each other grow. It's got to be small and intimate. 150 people. That's not group coaching. Have a, yeah, yeah. Group coaching. Yep. Yeah. Not going to have well, the same results. On LinkedIn. Now I'm interested. You said that that's going to shift. What do you mean by that? What do you think? How do you predict it's going to shift? Well, for me, I feel like. Uh, YouTube is going to be um, uh, a place where I, I spend a lot more of my energy. Not that not that I'll get away from LinkedIn, but I just feel like YouTube and I'm 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 testing out some other you know social media platforms to see if I can grow uh, an influence on on some of these other platforms because there's people everywhere, right? And yeah, it's about getting the attention. And right now, LinkedIn has been going through some major changes. And I've had some really good growth on that platform, but there are other platforms where I think I can get a little bit more bang for my buck. I'm seeing career coaches right now, which I'm not a career coach, by the way, but I'm seeing career coaches who are talking about job search stuff, crushing it on TikTok. And I'm like, man, I'm oh my God. Mark. Yeah. TikTok is unbelievable. Now, I have never gotten a job from TikTok. But I can post a video on TikTok and get 600,000 views. But do you know where I get most of my jobs are through Instagram? And so as you were also, yeah. yeah, So as you were, and that could change too. So I'm, I'm try to be a little bit everywhere, but I'm not as much on like Facebook and LinkedIn or TikTok as I am. Instagram is my hub. But as you were saying that these job seekers are looking for job on Instagram, you know what one of my thoughts was? (laughs) I thought, no, they're probably depressed or something and looking, scrolling through Instagram or shopping through Instagram. Like, cause I know when I've been like depressed or down myself, I tend to scroll. I know that's not a good thing to do. I know that you got (laughs) to, we all do it. Come on now. But you know what? A lot of job seekers, I'm sure they scroll through Instagram because it's more entertaining, I think, than mm. LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. And so you you start doing some reels on Instagram, get those suckers going viral and tell people how it's done. I'm just saying I'd like to see your IG growing over there. I, I'm going to do that. I'm definitely going to do that. And one of the things, and I'd like to hear your feedback on this, just, just a quick question is with Instagram, I've noticed that, and maybe it's because of clubhouse. I think this is because of clubhouse as I got real heavy into clubhouse and I started following a lot of very, very successful people, very on clubhouse from, yep. On, so from clubhouse to Instagram, cause they connect. Right. Mm-hmm. So I started following a lot of really, really successful people on Instagram, which is actually a great kind of level up trick is follow the people that you want to associate with. Mm-hmm. Just go start following them. 
And um, but anyways, so I started following a lot of really successful people. Now my newsfeed on Instagram is is a lot of success. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very like a lot of success. And so it can almost you don't want to compare yourself to other people. Right. I know that's not a smart thing to do, but sometimes if you just, if as I'm scrolling through Instagram, sometimes it like doesn't make me feel good. It actually makes me feel worse because I'm not where they're at. And I know I'm not supposed to compare. I know I'm supposed to be thankful. I know I'm supposed to be grateful. Right. I know all these things, but I still can't help the way it makes you feel when you see all this stuff. It's like, <laughs> Oh, well, I think that's human nature. And I think we all feel that way. I mean, look, I did a reels today on Instagram and I was posting about how it could basically be a bad country song. Like my dad just got out of the hospital. My dog had surgery. Like my, my daughter got thrown from her horse. I didn't get the speaking job I was on hold for. I sat on my reading glasses, so I can't even see like Anything that could go wrong, like it was going wrong, you know, and Murphy's law. And when you start scrolling through Instagram and you start seeing all the things going right mm. on the highlight reel from yep. Instagram, it can make you feel like, oh, I'm doomed. That's when I know that I need to take a break, get outside yep. in nature, go yes. work out, like seriously, I, uh, go call somebody. So I knew Yesterday, I was feeling so crappy and depressed and like really down that I knew, okay, I need eight hours of sleep tonight. I need to wake up. The first thing I did was get on my knees and pray. I mean, I literally Mm. rolled out of bed, got on my knees and prayed and thanked God. And then I did some reading and I did some journaling before I open up Instagram, before I do anything. And then I, you know, drink my, my energy drink. So I'm into my supplements. Um, and then I called my mom, I had a 45 minute break and I called my mom. She said, what are you doing? I said, I have a 45 minute break today. So I'm going to work out. And she knows, she goes, Oh, well, that's good. Cause she knows how I am and working out is makes me feel better mentally and Mm -hmm. physically. So I think we all have moments where, life is not going easy for us. It's really kind of hard or even shitty, you know, Mm -hmm. and scrolling through Instagram and seeing everybody's highlight reel is not the thing to do. You have to limit it. You only want to be an intentional consumer of Mm -hmm. social media, right? You actually want to be a producer of social media. You want to be a producer 80% of the time and and be a consumer 20% of the time. But when you're consuming, consume it with intention. Like, why am I actually here on this platform? Why am I consuming right now? Am I consuming because I'm learning trends? I'm trying to figure out how to grow and how to become better. Am I here because I'm trying to make a connection? Do I need to send a message to somebody to send them a DM to try and connect and build a relationship? Like, why am I actually here? That is important. I think intention is everything. And so if Mm -hmm. you're just getting on it because you're bored and I think we've all done that zombie. <laughs> and I mean, come on, everybody's used the bathroom scrolling. Okay. Like, yep. you sit on- <laughs> <laughs> like we've all done it. Come on now. Um, 
But yeah, I think getting intentional about it. And now I think that Instagram is up on that too, because they're like, they have time limits where you can actually set time limits for yourself. Oh wow! And I have friends that are, they've admitted they were addicted to it. So if you feel like that, it's like, okay, really time to take a break from it, you know? 100%. And it feels good. It feels good. Like you said, so you were having a bad day and and I actually posted a video about this. What's interesting is I posted a video about Murphy's law and I noticed that whenever I'm going through having that really bad day where it's like a domino effect, like you said, you had that day the other day where it was like nothing was going right. For me, I noticed that when that happened, it is my energy level. I am tired. I'm literally physically exhausted. Something's yeah. not right with my energy. Mm-hmm. And it starts from when I wake up and everything just gets slowly worse and worse and worse. So I noticed that and it's like, okay, I have to shut it all down. Literally, I got to shut everything down and go get some rest. I'll That's what down. I do. Yep. I have to shut it all down. What's so funny is I posted that video and the day I posted it, I was experiencing it. I literally was going through Murphy's law. Everything was going wrong that day. And so I said, you know what? I got to take my own advice here. <laughs> I shut it all down again. And uh, yeah, it, it helps. You got to get some rest. And for me, when I sleep and wake up, it's like a new day. Right. And I oh, can restart. Yeah. yeah. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. Just the importance of rest, because I think so many people think you just have to hustle, hustle, hustle. Mm-hmm. But it's not just about the grit. It's about giving yourself grace. Mm, hold on. Oh, my Where's goodness. My, where's my mic? Hold on. Oh. Mic You're so awesome. Thank you so much. I want people to find you, tell them the best place to connect with you and all the goods. Like I know I want them to see your show. I want them to see you on YouTube, everything. So tell them the best place to go. Thank you for asking. So I would say LinkedIn right now, again, that's my number one platform. So go connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, And then YouTube is, you find all my content there, who, you know, job networking show. And then our podcast, you know, I'm being real intentional right now on growing the podcast side of things because we're a talk show or TV. It's more um, visual, but uh, we repurpose for the podcast. And I'm like, I I really am trying to be more intentional on that. Go check me out on all the podcast channels. It's who, you know, show. And we would love any feedback, any ways we can improve send me a DM or if you just want to connect, I'd love that as well. Yeah. Connect with him, Trevor Houston on LinkedIn. I'll have his name, his show and his podcast, everything right there in the show notes. So if you're out running around, you can get to find those on the show notes, but Trevor, thank you for sharing your wisdom and y'all take a screenshot of your phone listening or on YouTube screenshot tag Trevor Houston and Amberly Lago on Instagram and Amberly Lago motivation on Instagram. And when I see it, I'll share it in my story, but show him some love, connect with him and let him know you heard him here right here on true grit and grace. And I just thank you for listening in and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you.